Good morning. Now, coming on the stage, I, I recall when I was a student in, uh, in England, a small town, uh, not, it's a city of Preston, and uh, it was my weekly routine to, to go to a, a, a Bible study in the railway mission. And uh, it's an odd group because I'm eight, I was 18 years old then, and the youngest among the six of them is 72 years old. And, but I always enjoy the company of these elderly, godly people, and I always go around and always look, and uh, I always enjoy when they share their journey. But that's not the story. The story is that one day I was wandering around, and uh, I, I went to the hall and stepped on the stage. And it's an old kind of uh, building, and the stage is four feet high. And four feet is about 1.2 meter high, that kind of thing. And once up there, I noticed there is a trap door on the stage. And later they told me it opened up to where they store the coal. But what amuses me is where they put the pulpit. It's just in front of the trap door. <laughs> so whoever is speaking, we have to stand on the trap door as he speaks. Now I just wonder whether there's a string tied to the lash on the trap door and the other end is held by one of these gentlemen who had Bible study with me. But uh, speaking over here, we always feel the sense of sitting on trap door, standing on trap door that, you know, uh, we hope that what we say will be a blessing to you and we'll say it before the trap door open. <laughs> May the word of my mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable to the Lord this morning. You have heard the story, uh, the, the chapter 3, been read to us. And uh, if you are in not, not really in the, the initiated to reading the Bible, maybe you can start with the book of Esther, because Esther is what we call a narrative, a story told, a good story, a short story. So you can begin there and read Esther and enjoy Esther like you'd enjoy any novel. And I think the Lord will bless you. And when you're finished Esther, just go on to perhaps the Gospel of Mark. So you find that you will continue reading the Bible and I hope the, the Lord will bless you. Now, Esther chapter 3 was read to us and the, the, the let me just go through with you the 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 main point, the main movement in that story. You have Haman who was promoted to a place of influence. And as part of the package, people have to kneel down when he come around. And you have a character, Mordecai, who refused to do that. Mordecai was obeying his conscience. Because he being a Jew have to obey the Ten Commandments and they are not supposed to bow down except to God, to kneel down except to God. So he was obeying his conscience. And because of that, Mordecai was suddenly enraged. But it doesn't make, 
you know, uh, too much sand because his, his anger starts to escalate so fast that instead of just focusing on the person who sort of insulted him by not kneeling, he, when he found out that Mordecai is a Jew, he decided to exterminate the Jew. And the, the scale of it, he's, he wanted to estimate the Jews in the kingdom of Xerxes, which actually today, in the east, border, eastern border will be Pakistan, and on the western border will be the river Nile. And everybody, every Jew in between, which means also Jerusalem. Those who went back in exile, they be there, they too will be exterminated. That skill, which means all Jews will be killed. And that was his hope. That was his plan. And when he forwarded the plan to King Xerxes, I can understand how he manipulated King Xerxes because King Xerxes had just came back from a defeat, a terrible defeat in Thermopylae. He was defeated by the by the uh, the Greek. I some historians say he took a million soldiers there, and he was defeated. He came back, and he have I, I'm sure he developed this paranoia that there's enemies all around him now. So when Herman took it to him and said, look here, there's a group of people who in your kingdom will not obey you. They are rebellious people. And Herman just bought it and said, okay, go and go with your plan, kill all of them. And the end of the chapter, chapter 3, it says that they're having a drink after that. It was a plan well set. Now to understand why Herman sort of escalated his anger to all the Jews, we must investigate a little bit of Herman's background. Who is Herman? He says he is an Agadite, or I am not sure how you pronounce it, but near there. Which means he is an Amalekite. And the Amalekite race for 500 years till then had been in conflict in conflict with the Jews. And so there is a racial tension. So he determined now has opportunity to wipe out the Jew. Why not? But more than that, that's why the Bible actually sort of helped us to link stories together. More than that, Herman's great 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 grandfather was King Agat and he's the person who was killed by Saul he was killed by Saul after the battle so Herman have, re- have known all that and in fact what the, 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 this killing this conflict of Herman's family through the ages is written in the book of the Jews and that's why we can understand why Herman escalated and used this opportunity to wanted to squash, to kill all the Jews. And it makes sense. But I want to draw you to a larger picture. 
and therefore it becomes relevant to us. And the larger picture is this. The larger picture doesn't go all the back only to 1 Samuel chapter 15, where the, the, the Herman's uh, great-great-great-great-grandfather, King Agat, was killed. It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, at the fall of man. Let me read what is stated here. And it is after Satan have deceived man, and man have disobeyed God, and God cursed Satan. And in chapter 3, verse 14, it says, So the Lord said to the serpent, which is Satan, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl, crawl on your belly, and you eat dust, all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now, and this is the larger picture. From the fall, Satan is cursed by God. And with prophetic message that the son of the woman, Christ, will give a fatal blow to him, crush his head, but Satan will strike his heel. There will be enmity between man and Satan. And from then on, Satan had been unleashing relentlessly evil and corruption on mankind. And in particular, he has always been trying to frustrate God's plan frustrate God's plan. And how does it fit onto this Esther chapter 3? If you think that Herman were to have succeeded in killing all the Jews, we won't have Christmas Day. Christmas Day will have stopped 500 years too early because God promised that the Messiah would have to come from, the, from Abraham from the Jews. So Satan was, I believe, was behind this scheme, the hand behind this scheme of Esther chapter 3 to stop, to stop this plan of God. Satan was relentless and the scheme of Herman, I think, was moved, inspired. He is the power of power and uh, principality of darkness Satan would move the hand of Haman. Haman. And we know about the Christmas story. Herod, when he did not get the message back from the Magi, where the, the baby Jesus is, again, we have this incident. He went and killed all children below two years old. And we may think that it's because of his own ambition to stop, to stop that somebody absurd his throne. But behind this, I see the hand of Satan, again trying to stop God's plan of salvation. So that's it. So the first thing I'd like us to pick up from here is the awareness, the consciousness 
that what we're going to do, what we have been doing, what we have been doing even from the playgroup and all that, actually, we are actually fighting in conflict against the power and principality of Satan. It is a spiritual battle. It is a spiritual battle. If you cannot, don't pick anything up from this message, please remember that. We are engaged in spiritual battle. We must be aware of that. That conscious. The moment we stop being conscious of this, Satan would have won. If we do all things in, the power, in our own power for the sake of this world only, we have lost we have sort of uh, caught our, keep our eye not on the ball. I mean, so we have to keep our eye on the ball. So the first thing I'd like us to remember is the consciousness that this is a spiritual battle, and we are in the we are in the battle. Now I'd like to now, what about Mordecai? Now Mordecai, because of his conscience, would not bow down. A simple gesture of kneeling to Herman. A simple gesture is because of his conscience. Now I want to bring for you, uh, bring forward a few C word, word which begin with C. We have this now. Uh, what do you call? We have to have a conscience. We have to have conscience. C words conscience. Now conscience is important to us. Conscience is important to us. Paul told, wrote to Timothy in the first letter of Timothy. He says that in Timothy chapter 1, verse 16, Paul says, verse 19, Timothy chapter 1, 1 verse 19 he is holding on to the faith and a good conscience some have rejected this and so have shipwrecked their faith we are to hold on to a good conscience because this internal voice we us the conscience is also the doorway where the Holy Spirit will speak to us to prompt us so we have to listen to our conscience that's the first C word I will leave to you the second C word I would like to leave with you is clarity. Now, our conscience can be manipulated. Nowadays, with fake news, and we were just being so emotionally driven. We need clarity. So the next thing, to get clarity, we must read God's word. How do we have clarity? We must read God's word. That is where we get clear. And we have to read God's word systematically. Now, I think all of us, most of us have been blessed by you know, the daily bread. And, but I hope that after years, you move on from daily bread. It could be one of your supplement, but we have to actually open the Bible and read the Bible. Paul wrote again to Tim, uh, Timothy, he said in 2 Timothy 3.16, he said, All scriptures are inspired by God. It's profitable for teaching, for correction, and for training in righteousness. 
So if we want to get clarity, the first thing is we to have prepare ourselves systematically reading God's words. And that is very important. And the second thing I find myself being helped by a lot of you is that it's your company where you actually help me to clarify certain matters. The church, the fellowship of the church, we encourage each other. When we do Bible study, we correct each other. So that is where I get my clarity to. So from conscience, moving on to clarity, that's how you help. And we move on to the next C word is, once you have clarity on conscience, we get a conviction. The next C word is conviction. Now, um, Medokai's conviction was he could not kneel down. He could not kneel down. A simple act. But his conviction was strong. He said, no. It is the Ten Commandments. He shall not bow down. He shall not kneel down. We move on to conviction. So how do we actually say, I have conviction. What does it mean? I can give you a suggestion. The first conviction is that you, when you do something or don't do something like Mordecai, he is refrained from doing, his conscience is put at rest. That's the first thing. His internal welfare is catered for because of his action. That's the first part. The second part, your conviction will be such a way that what you do or what you don't do will keep your relationship with God continuous. So your prayer life and your worship life will continue on. So the second part of our conviction. And the third part of conviction is we'll leave a mark. What we don't do or what we do because of the word saved in our heart, in our conscience, we leave a testimony to all around us and especially to our family, those we love so dear and later on to our friend, our colleague and the thing goes on. What we do or what we don't do because of our conviction, we leave a testimony. So that is the inward, upward and aroundward effect because we keep the conviction. Now from conviction, to keep the conviction, the next C word will be commitment. Now it is tough. It is tough for Mordecai when he's told that because of you, all women, babies, men, everybody will be slaughtered because of you. Because of you. It's tough. With a commitment, it comes... You need to be courageous. Another C word, you have to be courageous. And it comes with a cost. It comes with a cost. I'd like to turn to you, Matthew, chapter 16. And this is the word of Jesus. Just before, just after he had told his disciples that he's going to the cross. Matthew chapter 16. After he told the disciples he's going to the cross. And he told the disciples that you too have to take up your cross. Verse 24, Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For who? Ever wants to save his life will lose it. 
But whoever loses his life for me will find it. He said, What good will it be for a man if he gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? You, whoever wants to come after me, Jesus said, you have to take up your cross. Now I thought Louis Palau, now for old, for us who, in our generation, we perhaps knows there was a South American uh, evangelist, Louis Palau, a gifted man of God. I thought how he defined this, this become very clear to me. He says, what does it mean uh, to, 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 to take our cross and follow Jesus? That means you take up the cross to follow Jesus is to die. To die to yourself. He said, easy. It's when God's will go against your will and you choose God's will over your will. That is dying to yourself. And you can apply it every day. When God's will is against your will, and you choose God's will over your will. That is dying to yourself. We don't need people to persecute us, to take us to prison to that extent. But we are experiencing that almost every day. When God's will, and we have to struggle, because our will will say, no, not our will, we want to do our will. And we actually do God's will instead of our will. That is dying to ourselves. But again, brothers and sisters, let me leave with you a word of comfort. Now, I don't want to uh, a word of comfort, and that word of comfort comes from Paul. It comes from one Corinthians ten thirteen. Now, if you were to looking, you are looking for a word to say, you know, I'm in temptation and I need help. You know, give me a word. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. I, Corinthians, conquer 10 temptation. That I remember that all my life. Somebody tell me, want to remember is it? I conquer temptation, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It does rhyme to a certain extent. But let's look at the verse. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Some of you may have memorized this word, I guess. It's actually in the Navigator series. I was greatly blessed. It says here, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. And He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can stand under it. So when you are tempted, you must know that one is that you are not special, that there's a special temptation just catered for you. No, no, it's common. God knows it. And God is faithful and He will not let you and I be tempted beyond our strength. He is faithful and He will provide a way of acting. And if you feel the heat of temptation and you feel it, remember it, God knows that you just can't go on another mile. Hang on. And many times when you hang on and when you break through, it was one of the most joyous moments in our life. 
to be able to hang on. But again, you know, sometimes and many times I fail too. But I thank God for His compassion that I can come and kneel down to confess and He restores, He forgives me. That is our good God. So we are going to face in our commitment a lot of tests. It takes courage and it take and it's going to take a cost out of us. It takes a cost out of us. The next C word which I want to give to you, which actually is very important, is communion. Communion with God. Prayer. When we are struggling with our conscience, make sure we pray. Commune with God. When we come to need a clarity, make sure we pray that God will use His Word to teach us. And God will use the, the fellowship of saints to help us pray. Many times you remember the word, somebody, you're just struggling and somebody just give you one word and you say, yes, I think I understand, you speak to my heart, yes, the Lord has spoke through you to me. You know, pray. The Lord will speak to us. Pray. Communion. And we may come to conviction, we come with worship to God and we pray. Like God, you know, you give me this conviction. You know, you have to help me through because I need courage. And when I need to pay the cost, help me to be willing as part of my worship to you. So pray. At every level, we have to pray, pray, pray and pray. And in our church here, we are praying for you. Every Sunday, we are going through the list in our directory. A few of us will gather nine fifteen, and we still and we go through and pray and we pray that the Lord and the Lord will bless your field, you bless your family, bless your work. The Lord will richly bless you. Pray. Let me end with a story. I begin uh, from England. Now I'm going to end with England as well. But let me begin the story, and I will call this, this story title "Play the Man." Nothing sexy about "Play the Man." Now there was a man by the name of Polycarp. He was the bishop of Smyrna. Now that's not England. He was the bishop of Smyrna, and is now called Ismail in Turkey and his mentor is Apostle John can you imagine that you, you're, you're the person is mentoring who actually helped you knows Jesus personally so you know when he lived he lived in the first century Polycarp now he's a bishop and you, you know don't, don't, don't have that view that at that time the bishop will be wearing long robe with a tall hat and go around and publicly people will you know appreciate you because at that time to be a Christian you are outlawed people and so you are the leader of Christian you are really really having your mark behind your back you know and uh, your, your name will be in the prison uh, the police station and say you know look out for this and indeed Polycarp Bounty Hunter was sent after him. And when he was 
in his 90s, the bounty hunter caught up with him in his house. It was evening. He welcomed them, gave them hospitality, fed them, gave them a night. And the bounty hunter said, you know, just this, Polycarp, why don't you just say this word? And we will not, we'll, we'll just take this word back back to our you know, back to the council and say you know he has said this word and the word he's supposed to say is just Caesar is Lord Caesar is Lord say it even if you don't mean it just say the word so we can just take this message and then you'll be free Mordecai just kneel a simple gesture so Polycarp will ask just say the word. But Polycarp refused. And 90 years old, they took him. Took him to the Colosseum or a place where they're supposed to put him up and put him up to be burned alive. To be burned alive. Again, the council had pity on him and say, you know, Polycarp, just say the word. Caesar is Lord. And you'll be free. Just say Caesar is Lord. And on that, Polycarp says, 80 and 6 years have I served the Lord. And he had not done me anything wrong. How can I now blaspheme my king who saved me? 80 and 6 years have I served the Lord and he had done nothing wrong to me. How can I blaspheme the king, my king, who saved me? And it was said when he was put on the, on, on, on the pile of wood to be burned, all around him, his disciples, his followers too, heard the voice from God saying, Be courageous, Polycarp, play the man. Be courageous, Polycarp, play the man. Polycarp was burned. And you, you go and read the story. The fire did engulf him, but finally somebody used a knife to pierce him. And it says that his blood actually quenched the fire and he died. That is the first century. 1600, in the year 1600 something, when England was under a Catholic reign, Hugh Latimer, the Bishop of Worcestershire, was put on the same kind of scenario, put on the place to be burned alive with his friend Nicholas Ripley. That was what the name which Ripley College is have taken up. Nicholas Ripley. Hughes Latimer, they were they were there because they were preaching the gospel, the Protestant gospel, outwardly, because they believe that salvation comes from what we believe. In this world here. So they put up they, they, they were put up there. And of course they are, they were asked to recant and then you will be taken down. Hughes Latimer turned to his friend. He says, Play the man, Master Ripley. Play the man. We may today lit a candle by God's grace in England will never be put out. Play the man, Master Ridley. Play the man. 
we are called in the conflict to play the man. To play the man. Shall we come to the Lord in prayer?